My name is Gary Harden. I'm running for president. I want you to think about the opportunity that we have right here, right now. I've never known a guy more talented at untangling politics so that anyone can understand. It is a gift, and he wants to share that. And all anybody wants is for him to take a stupid photo. He will never understand that. Gary Hart is the man to beat in 88. If we hold ourselves to those highest standards, then the voters cannot do otherwise. Senator, I want to ask you some questions about the woman in your townhouse. Can you tell us how you know her? You can't be serious. No one is staying in my home. There's no need for that. Uh, I, I am serious, sir. Oh, cinnamon, where are you going to run to? The one thing I asked is that you don't embarrass me. We can't hide from this. The cameras go everywhere. It's up to us to hold these guys accountable. Just because some other paper used gossip as front page news, I mean, that doesn't mean we have it to. It does. It does now. He is a man with power, and that takes certain responsibility. We need to say something. It's nobody's business. None of it is. Okay, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about how you get through today. This campaign is about the future, not rumors, not sleaze, and I care about the sanctity of this process, whether you do or do not. Go on, Gary. Say it. There's going to be a story tomorrow about me. Welcome to another edition of Joe's Media Corner. Those were clips from the trailer for The Front Runner, the new movie out about Gary Hart and his rise and fall back in 1987, which was based on the book by Matt By, All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid. Of course, Matt was also involved in writing the screenplay and much of the production for the movie that's getting a lot of good attention and deals with a lot of issues related to politics and journalism. And Matt joined us for a great lengthy discussion about what happened with Hart, what happened with the journalism that unearthed his affair and the fallout and what it means for coverage of politics and a lot of other things in the news. So we'll be joining him in a moment. But first I want to mention, of course, my book is out this week, Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness, and Donald Trump Are Destroying News and How We Can Save It. You can find it on Amazon.com. That's out of Willow Street Press. We'll have a lot more information on events coming up, but please go online, check it out, order your copy, and tell everyone about it. And let's take a moment to thank our sponsors, Jiminy's. Jiminy's makes a delicious dog treat that uses cricket protein. Yes, I said cricket protein. It's better than beef or chicken because it's sustainable, and Jiminy's uses less water and land than beef or chicken. Check them out at Jiminy's.com. That's J-I-M-I-N-Y-S.com. And now let's go to our interview with Matt Bai. Matt, are you there? I am. Okay, we're talking to Matt Bai, author of All the Truth is Out, his book from several years ago, which is now a major motion picture, as they say, The Front Runner. It came out a few weeks ago, but is getting, I guess, wider release this week. And uh, that is, of course, the story of Gary Hart and his uh, rise and fall with his uh, extramarital affair, at least allegations. The book, which came out 2014, is that correct? Yeah, it's actually been retitled The Front Runner, Joe, so it actually now has a new... Cover. It's weird having your book retitled. It's like renaming your kids or something, but it's it's, uh, it's nice to see it in airports again, so I'll, I'll take that. And obviously people will immediately know the connection to the movie when they retitle it that way. But the, uh... Well, and see Hugh, Hugh Jackman's name and picture on it. I, 
I, I joked with him that uh, you know next next there was going to be a co-author and be collecting the royalties, but he, he wouldn't be collecting much, so that's you know it's not a big danger. And then for those who don't recall, um, this also has something of an anniversary. Um, it was 1987. It was the 1988 presidential campaign. So that's right. 30 years ago, but all of this actually came down in 1987 when Hart announced his candidacy and then uh, soon after uh, withdrew it. And for those who don't know, he ran in 1984, came in a good second to Walter Mondale, who of course went on to defeat to Ronald Reagan for his second election. And then in 1987, as the name of the movie title says, he was the front runner. And I think the book and the movie show really well how much he almost was being anointed nominee already when you wrote the book what was the in, in the book you explained some of this but what was the reason for writing it at the time you did just four years ago after so much time had passed since the uh, events occurred you know i met hard i was at the new york times magazine i was pretty new there you know i spent a decade there but i was pretty new it was like uh, early 2003 i guess it was just before the uh, the invasion of iraq right 2000 i guess that was, was that 2002 2003 and i went to see hart because there was a buzz around him possibly returning to politics and even running for president. And it wasn't real, but it, was, it just seemed odd. I remembered him from the scandal and when I was in college, and, and he kind of disappeared from public view. So I met him, and I spent a couple of days with him. And, you know, I mean, the, the best answer I can give is that some stories, as you know, they just grab you, and they don't let you go. You know, it, that's really, it's not you don't let them go. It's the other way around. And something about it really haunted me, and I think partly because the story I wrote about him, while true, you know, repeated some of the sort of collective misperceptions, the misremembering we did of that scandal in some significant ways. And only as I looked into it, because it didn't leave my mind, did I start to realize that there was more to it, that we had sort of conveniently forgotten a lot of the details of that moment. And, I, and as a reporter, you ask yourself, well, why? Why didn't we remember this? Why didn't we want to talk about what really happened here? And I began to connect it to the presidential campaigns I was covering and the, the deterioration, I thought, of presidential politics to see a connection between that moment and ours. And I decided I wanted to write a book, which everybody thought was super crazy, except maybe my wife. Uh, and my co-writer, Jay Carson, who ends up writing the movie with me, you know, he loved the idea, so we started talking about it as a movie. But, you know, sometimes you, you just got to go ahead and do the thing that you're passionate about. It's what I always tell people, and I try to practice what I preach, and I went ahead and wrote it, and, and here we are. And we got the book and the movie, and people are are talking about that episode again, which is great. Now, you're talking about you did an article in 2003 about Hart thinking of coming right. back. Right, exactly. And that was for the New York Times Magazine. Right, so we right. So you can find that online. And then when the actual events occurred, you were in college? Yeah, I mean, I was I was in school. I mean, I, I had mono, and I was kind of hanging oh around gosh. my room and reading Newsweek, you know, and, and uh, where I would later work for a while. And, and so I remember watching that, you know, kind of political car crash that was the un, undoing of Gary Hart, which really took a matter of days. And if you lived through that, you know, it was a big cultural moment. It's funny because if you go into an audience now, like if you go to a college audience and you say, you know, have you ever heard of Gary Hart? Nobody raises their hand, or at least they didn't before the movie or the book. And, and he was once described to me by someone here in Washington as, you know, the, the most important politician of the, of the latter half of the 20th century who did not become president. And I think that's a very good summation. He was a really big figure in the moment, and yes. his undoing was a big national moment. It was all the late-night talk shows, Johnny Carson, who pops up in the movies, and we have the actual footage, Ted Koppel. Uh, it transfixed the country, and, and the fact that it got so lost and obscured, you know, really almost, it interested me more. It's quite a phenomenon. Yeah, and I remember at the time, I was in college, and it seemed odd to me that Hart was anointed so automatically after 84, because I went from college, I was in college from 84 to 88, so mm -hmm. I basically came in 
after Reagan, uh, or when Reagan got reelected and, and Mondale lost, and then I left after Hart got knocked out. And it just was kind of like, there was other names, obviously, and of course, Mike Dukakis took over and ended up losing yeah. to George H.W. Bush. But Hart was immediately the front runner, and I think the movie and the book show what a what a smart person he was. He really had this outlook. One of the things I think you broke, or at least highlighted in the book, and it comes up in the movie, is you talk about when he had this plan to end the Cold War, that he was going to invite Gorbachev to his inauguration, and that there was some deal that would have ended it, and he really was forward-thinking. He was a big education senator, big education plans. But when this incident occurred, it just attacked, and it seemed like, was it a timing thing? Was it the way he handled it? Because he was somewhat, I don't want to say arrogant, or thinking he could have his privacy. Was that just naivete on his part, or was he just in a tough situation at the wrong time when cable news was expanding and people were gossiping more? And and I know the book talks a lot about the week politics went tabloid. Was he in the wrong place at the wrong time, or did he would he have probably gotten affected the way he was 20 years earlier or now 20 or 30 years later? Well, that's a big question. That's the thing I yeah. wanted to know when I set out to write the book, is, you know, what? why then? Why, you know, exactly what you said is that, was it him? Was it us? Was it was it the moment? And you know, it's from a from a standpoint of the movie for a second, just to look at that. You know, what makes it, I think, so compelling? And Hugh Jackman plays Hart, and he's he's really tremendous. I yes, think. Uh, is, but one of the you know, one the thing that makes it so interesting as a character, leaving aside just a dramatic character, leaving aside the truth of the story, is that Hart was a guy, as you point out, who could see around the corners of the society, who could see stateless terrorism coming, who could see deindustrialization coming who could understand the rise of the information economy. A lot of things we take for granted now that Bill Clinton really popularized first, uh, he took from heart. Mm -hmm. And yet he can't see around this one corner. He can't understand that politicians are about to become celebrities and their personal lives are about to become fodder for journalists. And so as a, just from a character standpoint, you ask yourself, well, how, you know, that's interesting, right? How is a guy so gifted in his foresight and in so many ways and so blind in this one? And I think... You know, the answer I really, you know, get into it in the book is, is really there were all these forces kind of colliding at the society in that moment. It wasn't really hard. It wasn't the reporters. It wasn't, it wasn't any one person's decision. It was all of these forces coming together, and he kind of does step into that vortex. He gets caught between moments. He comes from one kind of moment, and he walks into another. And you have, you know, you're now 12 years past Watergate, so you're getting a generation of journalists who are just coming onto the campaign trail in the mid-1980s who, who have this, who have both, yes, a career ambition that's been awakened in them, right? If I can be Woodward and Bernstein, if I can take someone down, I can, I can really become famous and successful. But also they have, I think rightfully, a real concern about moral character in their leaders because somehow Nixon has slipped through and this idea of character has become much more important after Watergate than it was before. They want to save the country from people who lie or, or cheat in their private lives. You have the changing attitudes about adultery on the left, the rise of the moral majority on the right, the birth of the satellite television dish, which is by no means the smallest influence in this, the beginning of the 24-hour news culture, the beginning of televised punditry. All of that is happening at one moment. And, you know, 1985, I think, uh, two years before this happens, Neil Postman writes, uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, which is an absolutely visionary work of a sort of polemic in which he argues that the, that the, the framework of television, the cultural the touchstone of television is going to transform our politics and our culture in ways we, we don't quite understand and make everything into a dramatic story. And if you look back at it now uh, in the, through the lens of the Trump presidency, it's remarkably visionary. Uh, and so all of this is going on, and, and Hart walks into that world. And what happens is that everybody caught up in that moment, journalists, 
family, the candidate, his family, his aides, the other woman, Donna Rice, who, who becomes a punchline in that moment. Everybody has to make decisions uh, and chart a course in an environment that none of them have really faced before because politicians have never come in for that kind of paparazzi-type treatment. And what happens in that moment is that we begin to treat our politicians more like celebrities. And as I've argued repeatedly, before and after the Trump presidency, or before and during, if you treat your politicians like celebrities, you will get celebrities as politicians. And it, it, it changes the process, and then thereby changes the kind of politician we get in the process. And for those who don't know, obviously Donna Rice was a woman that Hart was involved with. It was never really clear exactly what happened, although in the book... You talk about his wife being upset, and in the movie there's scenes where it, it's almost clear he did something with her, but he always maintained it was a private thing between them, and um, Donna Rice was a woman who he met by accident and who said she wanted to work on the campaign, and then she, was, of course, was hounded forever. I'm sure still hounded by it, and then he dropped out within only a week, I believe. Of- Five days. Five days. And that's the thing that kind of always I was surprised at. Because then we fast forward to the next election. Bill Clinton came under fire for a lot more discrepancies and claims against him by women. And he stuck it out. He hung in there. He won. And then he won re-election, although he was then impeached for another affair. And then after that, we had Bush and Obama. And then Donald Trump, as you mentioned, kind of leaves all of them in the dust in terms of offensive and questionable acts. Neither Hart nor Clinton, although Clinton had actually claims of sexual assault, some still cling to, although they never reached the level that, that Trump did. You can count all the horrible claims against him, and he still has support. And many right. of them came out before he was elected, and he was still elected. How did we get from Hart being knocked out for essentially one affair and rumors of others, very weak rumors, to Trump, and it all kind of just, just sliding off his back? Well, because it's about what a can, what kind of candidate that you get and what yeah. that candidate is willing to do, Joe. It's when, as I said before, when you change the process, I think this is a really important point you're raising because people will say, well, I guess the public stopped caring after that because we get this all the time, right? And uh, look at Donald Trump and that, you know, the public's okay or some segment of the public is okay. I don't know how much of it. But I think that misses the point. The point is when you change the process, you change the candidate. And Clinton gets through four years later, not because the public has decided it's okay to do what Gary Hart did. He gets through because he's willing to do things Hart would never have been willing to do, and, and most presidents before that time would not have been willing to do. He'll drag his wife in front of the camera, yeah. he'll talk about his underwear, he'll lie, he'll dissemble, he'll yeah. pay people off, he'll do what he has to do. And he's a performer, and he will win at all costs. You're talking and about Trump or Clinton? I'm talking about Clinton. Yeah. Uh, and was Clinton about, and, just a better politician than Hart? Well, no, I, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, no, it depends on how you define a better right. politician, Joe, it, it, in terms of ideology or substance, uh, he, intellect, I think they're very similar, actually. Yeah. But in terms of what he's willing to do to evade and endure through a scandal, and how he's willing to open up his family and his private life to scrutiny, and if he's willing to tell untruths, then yes, he's a better politician. But once you just start to define better politicians that way, you're going to get a certain kind of candidate. Sure. And I would argue that every president after that election in 1988, every president from Clinton on, is in some way a reflection of a celebrity and entertainment oh, sure. culture. Even, even Barack Obama, who oh, was absolutely. not... Uh, who was not scandal-plagued or dramatic in, his, in no. his personality, but he is the central character in a drama. He's not a traditional politician. He's a guy marketed as a story about America. Right. So that's a TV movie as a, as a presidential candidate, and you know, he's about the story of how we turn the page in American life. Bush was uh, the celebrity son of, uh, of a president, right? Uh, Trump is a reality television show star. We, we value and reward a different set of skills, and we value and reward shamelessness. 
If you are willing to endure and you don't mind the indignity and you don't mind the invasion of your privacy and you don't mind being proven a liar and come as long as you can endure, then we will the process rewards you. And I think that's nobody's fault, you know, as we I think we point this out in the movie pretty well because the movie is not a message movie. It, it really leaves a lot to be debated and it's not it's not like there's any one person made a decision that caused this. This was an inevitable collision of forces and a lot of people contributed to the process that we have, but but I think it's worth reflecting on particularly in the moment we're at and, and the direction our politics is headed, is what, what do we consider qualities of leadership? You are kind of hard on the press, but I think in a fair way, raising the point that it wasn't just the press, and you have some characters. I know there's one female editor at the Washington Post who has a little bit of a debate with... Now, the young reporter at the Post, the young African-American reporter, who yeah. is that? Well, uh, the, the, the woman editor you're referring to is Anne DeVroy in the movie, who was, uh, who was the editor at the Post at the time, is now... Uh, passed away. The character, the, the character played by Mamadou Afi in the movie yeah, is a he's, young reporter uh, called named AJ. Is that a real AJ person? Parker, and he's he's an amalgam really of Okay, that's what characters. I thought, because I didn't, I didn't recognize the name or, or him. Well, he's an amalgam. E.J. Dion was at the New York Times right. and actually got the quote that... And I know in that, your book you talk a lot about E.J.'s part of it. Right, the follow me around quote, which is so yeah. famous. And then Paul Taylor is the guy who ultimately asks Hart this, this incredibly personal question at a news conference. Well, Rather than have all of these various storylines, because you know there's a million characters in the movie already, we sort of consolidated that into into one role. I happen to think that character, uh, personally as a journalist, I identify the most with that character. I think you know, and and he's really he's a terrific performance. But I, yes. you know, I think I think we treat the journalists in the movie as we treat uh, just about you know well everyone in the movie, which is to say, we try to show that perspective. But we show it with, uh, I think, both with scrutiny and sympathy, and, and we hope that people leave the theater debating it and talking about it and taking different points of view and saying, well, I identify with the reporter, and somebody's saying, well, that's okay, but I identify with the candidate. But I think, you know, I think we wanted to make sure there, there weren't heroes or villains in the movie, because I don't think mm-hmm. there were heroes or villains in the story. I think we all agreed that it was, it's a story about living in the gray areas of morality, and we didn't want to tell people what to think. We wanted to make them think. I think that there's enough... Lord knows there's enough in politics and political books and movies. Uh, there's enough in movies, period, of, of telling people what the message is. I think people can figure that out themselves, and, and we just wanted to tell that story in all its dimensions. And then, of course, Tom Fiedler and the other reporter at the Miami Herald, they come off a little mixed, I think. There's some there's some mm-hmm. s- sympathy for what they did, but there's also some, some criticism, I think. And now, did you interview Fiedler for the book? I think you did. He's quoted I did. I talked to I yeah. talked to Tom quite a bit, and, and yeah. uh, I know him, so I'm kind of biased, uh, at least as having known him for many years. As well, a, he's so respected in yeah. our profession, and and, and well liked, and I like him too. Uh, you know, I think, and, and Tom, you know, has been always been very upfront about talking about this moment and, and oh, reflecting yes. on it. I've always said, you know, I, I I I would never say I wouldn't have been in the alley doing literally in the alley behind a presidential candidate's home, right, which is a crazy thing. Even by today's standards, that would be quite remarkable. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I would never say I couldn't have been there. I mean, we all made decisions sure. out of competitive pressures, and they were facing a whole new landscape. I just think it's worth reflecting on how we got there and what it meant for the future. I don't think we can afford to not look back at ourselves. It's funny, I, I did an, uh, I was on NPR last, last night we did an event with NPR that'll air on All Things Considered, and, and Audie Corner said to me, well, I, 
I'm surprised you're not on the side of political journalists. And I said, oh, I'm not on anybody's side. I sort of thought it was an odd question. I said, you know, I believe in the, I believe in my industry, and I've been a, I've been covering presidential politics for 20 years. I just think we, we deserve the same self scrutiny that we, that we bring to others and the people we cover. And, and I think that's what the movie does. I think the movie looks at journalists just the same way it looks at everybody else and doesn't spare them that that scrutiny. But, uh, I mean, it would not be an honest story if it didn't. And, and I think it raises uh, a lot of questions. And there was never a, a smoking gun element, it seemed, unless I'm missing something, where they did see Donna Rice and, and Hart come in and out of his home. He dropped out of the campaign. But there was never any, he never admitted anything. And I believe you talk about in the book, he hasn't answered it either way. Uh, but I always thought, well, why would he drop out if something didn't happen? Now, I think the movie points out in the book, he, it was such a hard thing for his family that you could understand maybe he just didn't want to keep going. And like you said, took a Bill Clinton or someone who just doesn't care what they have to go through. And Hart, even if he had been innocent, maybe just realized it had gone so far that he didn't want to keep going. But it, as a journalistic story, it, the truth never completely came out. Uh, or am I missing something? That no, that's right. And Donna Rice never confirmed it. You know, Donna right. never confirmed it either. Neither of them did. You know, I think Hart would say that he got out mostly because there was he couldn't go on campaigning in that environment, which no candidate had faced to that point. It was impossible. That's true. He's the first to talk he, about the things yeah. he wanted to talk about. And also, you know, he'd been twice separated from his wife for right. a long time. That's another of time. interesting so part were, of the story, too. Yeah, so there have been a lot of women in and out of his life. Everybody knew that. And the press was starting to bang on all their doors. Yeah. And so there were a lot of people who were going to be dragged through that process. And so I think, um, I, think he under, I think he felt a little burdened by how it would affect everyone else. He felt that the campaign was almost impossible to carry on logistically. And I think he was a little overwhelmed and disgusted uh, and worried about his kids. And, uh, you know, I think he would say that he sort of threw down the credentials and walked away and uh you know as opposed to being sort of drummed out of politics now you know the thing that's always followed him which you probably asked me about is the is the you know the quote follow me around right uh, now in the movie bit. you have that coming from the washington post as you mentioned that that mm -hmm. composite character but you're saying it actually came from ej dion at the times or someone it else did yeah no that's right we changed that and that's well, one that's of the small things We've That's a major part of the movie. Why why change it so dramatically to another paper and to the Times or Post? Oh, care I mean, about it's, that? it's it's big to you or it's big to it's big to you and and me, Joe, because yeah. we're journalists and we. But the truth is, no one remembers where that quote came from. In fact, everybody misremembers where that quote came That's from. That's another everybody interesting thing. Yeah, and, and everybody like remembers movie... it. Everybody thinks that he got up in front of the press corps and right. said, "Everybody, follow me around." The truth is, he gave a single interview uh, in frustration. He says, yeah. "You know, look, if you want to put a tail on me, follow me. I'm fine." And then he goes away. And then the Herald puts a tail on him, puts him under surveillance because they get a tip. And then they see the quote in an advanced copy yes. of the magazine, yes. and they, uh, the two things, the Herald expose and the quote, come out on the same day. So one does not cause the other, but, it, but it's forever after misremembered as he, he issued a challenge and the Herald took him up on it. And I think, you know, I do, this is where I do fault the Herald guys a little. I, see, I both see the point of view of Tom Fiedler, and, and in some ways I don't. But uh, one thing I think Tom would agree with, is that that the conflation of those two things was was a very unfair, and it enabled journalists not to really have to answer or grapple with these hard questions about what had changed in that moment, 
And, you know, Tom would tell you, I think, that he's sorry those two things were conflated. He says, you know, what was I supposed to do to correct that impression? And I think there were ways to correct that impression. And I think, you know, that, that is one of the things that I think people will be surprised by in the film and were surprised by in the book, that, you know, it was not the challenge that led to his being pursued. And that really does make a difference in the story and everything that came after. They kind of pointed to it after the fact to sort of defend themselves, which... Yeah, isn't yeah, necessarily bad, but it does mislead things a bit, and it probably doesn't mean anything in terms of whether they would have done it or not. I mean, they well, that's what Tom's always said. Yeah. Tom's always said we would have done it anyway. We sure. he'd said similar things to other people. You know, we thought it was a story regardless. But I think you know you, you certainly don't have to have as much of that conversation if people if the simple answer for people is well he challenged you and what choice did you have uh, and that's not the way it happens and now now did you reach out to Fiedler again at all for the movie or did he not want to be involved, seen, involved? We, uh, Jason Reitman our director and co-writer uh, my co-writer he uh, who, who's you know one of the great oh, he's film great. directors uh, of course yeah. I remember his first movie I think was Juno which is still one of my favorite thank you for it's smoking very... was his first movie I think Juno was his second that's right he was also a great one, but I remember Juno was yeah. just a really good, very different movie, obviously, than this. Great movie, and Up in the Air well done, is yeah. one of my favorites. Uh, he's done just a young adult. He's done a tremendous film. Yes. Uh, and Jason screened the film uh, for a lot of people involved, including Tom, just before it came out. Oh, and, and I think I, I wasn't there. Jason said Tom was uh, was uh, you know really complimentary of the film and oh, very good. gracious. Uh, he's since wrote a piece that I have not read, uh, but I think I think was less less complimentary, mm. but uh, but mostly, uh, as I understand, I don't know, I have not read it. I, actually, I don't think he was happy with the actor who portrayed him. Yeah, the actor he... comes off a little goofy, a <laughs> little schlubby. I, he's a great actor. He's Steve a very good actor. I've seen, I think, if, what's his name? I've seen him in yeah. other things. He doesn't look like Hugh Jackman, but he's a great actor, and, uh, and, and I thought a pretty good Tom Fiedler. No, he's, he com- he's a very good actor, but I think he, his portrayal makes, makes Tom look a little, little goofy, a little schlubby, although I didn't know Tom back then. I met him later years, and you probably wouldn't like that portrayal because it is a it is kind of a, a kind of a mixed character he's kind of a regular guy kind of a little quiet a little goofy yeah. um and but that doesn't necessarily mean it isn't the way he was it's hard to have a character like that portrayed that way and 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 be happy about it even if it's accurate portrayals know. are a tough thing and no oh matter how gosh, you do them absolutely and, especially and when I, so many I, people are still alive yeah i give a lot of credit to jason who's never before done a film about real people by the way and he has never played a real person you know for jason to go around and show people he showed donna rice the film first he showed Excellent. it to Hart, he showed it to the campaign aides and you know i think that took a lot as a journalist you and i know you know from doing stories about people and then they read it 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 takes some courage, I think, for a filmmaker to yeah. go out and say, this is what I've done with, with the worst week of your life or with a difficult week yes. in your life. It's already done. You don't get to affect it, but here it is. Because uh, nobody saw the script. Nobody was involved. Uh, I give him a lot of credit for that. And uh, and I think, by and large, it's, it's, it's definitely fair to say that, it, by and large, or, or entirely, the people portrayed in the film have been, to a person, I think, grateful for the human sort of compassion and complexity that the film shows them, that it doesn't make cartoons of anyone, and that it doesn't reduce anybody to a uh, cliché. I also liked seeing a younger, even even schlubbier, Joe Trippi, who I didn't know had worked for Hart. He, of course, went on to be Howard Dean's <laughs> campaign manager, correct? That's right. And, and Joe did Joe did the role. I mean, that, that portrayal in the movie is very... That's the way he was back close then? ...to reality. That's, that's well, great. that was his job. That is who... And actually, Oliver Cooper, the actor, looks a lot like a young Joe Trippi. Oh, really? But, okay. Joe did go, uh, you know, Joe went up. That was his job. He went to the cabin to sort of rescue Lee Hart. He spent yeah, a couple of days with her. Part. He gets her out of the cabin to New Hampshire. I mean, it was, it's, a, it's a remarkable does he like? Does he like that portrayal? Have you been in touch I, with I him? I think so. I honestly haven't. I, I know he came to the New York premiere. Oh, I saw good. him there. 
Uh, I haven't talked to Joe after. I'm sure I would have heard if he didn't like it. But I, I, I think, you know, I've, I've talked to Joe at length about that week in his life, and I'm, I'm betting he thinks it's uh, pretty close to reality. That must be an interesting one because, uh, obviously, he went on to be Howard Dean's campaign manager and is obviously still very strong in Democratic circles and yeah. and speaks a lot and is on TV a lot. So I think that was an interesting part of the campaign. I didn't know that he had been involved. Yeah, it was a little little chapter in history there, yeah. He now, I want to ask you one other quick thing, and I appreciate your time. Of course, we're talking to Matt sure. Bai. He's author of All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid, which, of course, now is the front runner. the movie starring Hugh Jackman, which has been out for a couple weeks, but more in expanded theaters and a really good uh, assessment of the Hart campaign and incidents that brought him down. And I think, like we said, I think you do give a good fair balance between some sympathy for Hart and some blame some sympathy for the press and some blame. And you mentioned that it was Anne DeVroy was the editor at The Post, portrayed mm-hmm. in the movie. She really comes to the defense of reporters, I think, in a couple scenes where she's talking to the to the young reporter, uh, AJ, about basically saying, yeah, you know, feel sorry for Hart, but we, we have to know things about candidates. What is your general view, just as a reporter, about the secrecy of and privacy of candidate lives these days? Do, do we go too far, or do people... I always used to say you can ask a politician anything. doesn't mean they have to answer it, or you have to use the answer, but maybe I'm wrong. I think it's a case-by-case case and, and an outlet-by-outlet outlet question. I, I don't think there's an easy answer to that. I think in some cases it's very relevant, and in some cases it's not. And to me, the question is, do you bring context to it? Do you uh, are you taking the one moment that can that can make a person look terrible and using it to negate all uh, a career's worth of upstanding behavior, or are you illuminating something about a person that's integral to who they are or, or shows a real flaw in their integrity? And I think that's you know I could point you to cases where I think both are true, where I think you know we we've exaggerated something for sensational purposes, or 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 where you know for instance John Edwards in the National Enquirer, where I think the National Enquirer actually had it right. Uh, in focusing on something that was really problematic about his integrity. Oh, yeah, and that was a lot um, more than what Gary Hart did, obviously. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, and, and, and the case, I think, in some of the revelations about our current president. You know, I really think that's a hard question to answer. I mean, the, the end of Roy thing is interesting because she, you know, she had died before uh, I wrote the book. I never met her. Mm-hmm. I've talked to people who knew her, and she plays a role. There's some contemporary accounts, Paul Taylor's book, in which she plays a role. But I think in the movie, she plays a different and important role. We were very cognizant. We wrote the movie before the Me Too movement or any of that had come out. But, mm. but you know, in, both in the book and writing the book and talking about Donna Rice, who I talked to for a, a lot, and, um, and then when we sat down to do the movie, it was important to us that the women's perspective, the perspective of various women in the story be told because there had been no Donna Rice before Donna Rice. She, she, was, she lost as much as Hart did in this. You know, she mm. lost her... Her reputation, her name was changed forever. Uh, you know, what the families go through, Lee Hart, what she as a wife had to contend with that, that people had not before, other, other wives of candidates and presidents, and what women journalists who were just then getting to the higher echelons of, of journalism, what they had to contend with in speaking for their entire gender and in ha- taking a different perspective into those newsrooms than the men who had covered politics for a long time. This is really interesting stuff to, to wrestle with in a film, and it's also important to the story. So it was important for us that there were characters who could bring all of that to life in a compelling way, and that's really her role in the post, and Anne's role, that character, uh, speaks for, uh, I think in a very organic way, you know, speaks to the perspective of women journalists as as a sort of a pioneer at the higher level of women journal women in journalism and you know says to the reporters and the guys in that newsroom you know hey, this matters you know the behavior of this guy matters it bothers me and it should bother you and i think that perspective had to be there and i and i thought uh, Ari Grainer 
who people may recognize from The Sopranos or other roles. She did a terrific job in, in that role. Yes. You mentioned before that candidates are getting more and more to be celebrities, but we did see that earlier while Hart was running with Ronald Reagan, who was a, a sort of a bit of a celebrity, not as well-known, obviously, as a Donald Trump to a lot of people. He had been governor of California as well. But mm-hmm. he came. He was a very, you know, telegenic person. He knew how to act. He knew how to present himself. And then you go to Hart, who was trying to be private, was a very good-looking candidate. It kept comparing him to Kennedy, which I know you in the book even talk about. But he wasn't a performer. And have we gone to the point where we have to have performers and celebrities? Can we go back to someone who just knows how to govern and, and has good ideas and is a good politician, quote-unquote, whatever that means? Well, you know, Reagan's an interesting case because he was, in a sense, the first entertainer to become president. And there's a tendency of people to say, well, you know, to compare, there was a lot of comparisons Republicans made of Trump to Reagan. You know, always, okay, he comes out of TV and maybe he doesn't know that much, but, you know, look at Ronald Reagan. I think that, that's, a, that's a super simplistic recollection of Reagan because, as you know, Reagan, despite having started out as a B-movie actor, had a very long substantive career in politics. Yes. Uh, yeah, he was always knocked as the bonzo actor and all that, but he was twice governor of California. He yes. twice ran for president. He was a major figure of the conservative movement in the 1960s, 20 yes. years before, you know, or, or 15 years before he became president. So Ronald Reagan, by today's standards, was beyond eminently qualified for the presidency, really. Uh, and it shows you how much the process has changed. So it's almost accidental that he was uh, an entertainer. I think, I think where it's important is that he had the skills for television uh, at, at the moment when television was sort of a, at its uh, you know, apotheosis in, in the culture. And so I think in that sense, you know, the entertainment mattered. But where we've come to since then, when we talk about the celebritization of politics, is a, is a place where all the things, you know, there was a, really for the life of the country, we treated entertainers and politicians differently. And and not always better, by the way. And, you know, I, I, I can't, I would never argue that it was better when everybody looked the other way and John Kennedy was carrying on with a mobster's girlfriend, right? I mean, practically every major president in the 20th century, back, you know, Franklin Roosevelt certainly... Uh, Johnson, Eisenhower—they were all—they—they—they they, they were all philanderers, uh, and it's not necessarily better that we never cared. Mm-hmm. But uh, after the Hart moment, after 1987, we go looking for it, and yes. uh, and and there's a paparazzi element. That the paparazzi and the political press come together in that moment in New Hampshire in 1987 in a way physically they never have before. Yes. And I think that that comes across in the film really nicely. And and it changes the way we cover our politicians. We cover them as if they are entertainers and celebrities. But did did Clinton ease some of it? Because a lot of things came out about him. He had affairs. He even when you back remember smoked marijuana when that was a big deal. He uh, got out of Vietnam. He had at least several affairs we know of, but he still won, and then he won re-election. Yeah, yeah but again, Joe, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Okay. I understand that argument. No, I'm, not, which I'm is... not saying one thing or another is the result. I just found right. it kind of interesting that he survived through that, again, as you said, right. not easily and not in a way that a lot of politicians would do. Has that eased it now when, when you can have... There's a difference between what many look at as a Me Too moment which is right. sexual harassment, sexual assault versus an affair, consensual affair, which I think people seem to accept more than they did with Hart. Yeah, I don't think it's a, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I think to me this is an important distinction. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of one of the points of the, that I make in the book, and, I, and, and it's worth discussing as a result of the movie, that I think it's, not, it's easy to look at it and say, well, it kinda, we kind of got desensitized, right? right? Everybody does it, and we're used to it. I think the more relevant thing is the process only rewards and exalts performer politicians who, who can and will 
do what it takes to get through. And that wasn't Hart. You know, sometimes people say to me, well, what would happen to Gary Hart today if that happened? You know, would he get through? He had, you know, with this one revelation. And the answer is, it's irrelevant because Gary Hart would never run today. He would never have had the stomach for that. He, he wasn't willing to look at you and lie. He wasn't willing to drag his wife before the camera. He wasn't willing to open up and emote. And for most of the life of the country, we considered that a mark of principle. Now, if you want to run and win, you have to be sort of shameless, and you have to be a performer, and, and you have to be, if, if you have things like that in your past, you have to be willing to dissemble, or you have to be, have been planning to be president for so long, since the time you were a small child, that you've lived a life of such caution and inexperience in the world that you don't have mistakes you have to worry about. Right? That's the process we've created, and your process determines who you get and how you're governed. And so, you know, I think that we didn't end up with Donald Trump. He didn't, whatever one thinks of Donald Trump, he's a different model of president, and we didn't end up with that model of president out of happenstance. We ended up that way because our process has been the, the way we cover and think about and elect and vote for presidents uh, over the last 30 years has been on a continuum from Hart to Clinton to, you know, to the moment of Sarah Palin as a vice presidential candidate to Donald Trump. We value a different skill set in our candidates. We reward a different skill set. And we've, we've all got to take stock of that, I think. Right. And you could argue that after Harvey had Clinton, who was, I think people would say, was more qualified than some, but he still sure. was very underqualified in many ways. And then you go to George W. Bush, had very little experience, even though he had been a governor. Of course, Barack Obama had very even less experience. Yeah. And some could argue they were not the best qualified people for the job, and clearly Trump is not as well. I don't think many people would argue even his supporters would he lacks a lot of what a lot of people want in a president, or do or do they want a president like that anymore? Have we turned the corner where we can't go back to presidents who, who were more qualified and come from the, the political and governmental world rather than the celebrity world, or has, has that passed us by? It's an interesting question. Yeah. I, I mean, I, look, I think I think Clinton and, and George W. Bush were actually, you know, by any historical standard, qualified, maybe not overwhelmingly qualified mm-hmm. in Bush's case, but, you know, a couple terms of governor of a, of a large state or you know, 10 years as governor of a small state certainly qualifies you historically. But yes, I mean, I, I don't think we're ever going to see, or at least not for a while, we're going to see a traditional presidential process in this country the way we did. I don't think we're going to see a, a field of only professional politicians. I don't think, you know, I don't think we're going to see the kinds of campaigns we're used to. We're going to see much more crowded fields, a lot of outs, starting in 2022, uh, a lot of outsiders, a lot of people from business or sports or entertainment, uh, you know, it's everybody's game now, uh, which, by the way, I don't think is a terrible thing for the democracy. It's not like the professional politicians have been you know, tearing it up. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've never been averse to the idea of somebody outside the system coming in to reform it. Right. But there is a difference between reform and honoring the skills that someone has earned outside the political process and just bringing the world of reality television or entertainment into your politics. And I think that's what we've done now. Do you think 2020 will be even more negative and difficult to cover as a journalistic event? Or are some of the reporters learning from 2016 and maybe we'll get it a little bit more back on the on the right rails? I don't thought? know that we as journalists right now really get to control that. You yeah. know, uh, there's very little access. There's very little substance. We're going to have a ton of candidates. It's economically very hard to cover them all. You know, we need to get better at some some things about the new frontier of of politics, about covering it and understanding. It. And the one uh, to me, 
and I hadn't thought about this until you asked it, but the, the one, to me, glaring mistake we made as an industry in 2016 that contributed to the moment was we weren't used to fields that, crowd, that overwhelmingly crowded. We weren't used to such a chaotic process. And we made a very big deal of very small numbers. You know, it, it, you know yes, Donald Trump was leading the field for most of 2015 or 2016, but with 25% of his party, right? He was not right. some overwhelming frontrunner because there were 17 candidates. We, we didn't know how to cover that. And because his rallies were so entertaining and because his ratings were so good and he would call in, he got an inordinate amount of yes. free press and promotion. And I get into that a lot in my book. And uh, many yeah. other people have, have examined the fact that they, he was kind of left unguarded and let because a lot of people didn't take him seriously. And was that a mistake or was it just such a changing element to have him in there? I didn't take him seriously. And it's, and yeah. it's funny. I mean, it, given what I had covered for so long about outsider politics and, and independent politics, I certainly took seriously and still do the idea of people outside the party system taking it over. I certainly yes. did not discount the idea of, an, of a non-traditional candidate winning. I just didn't think it'd be him. I didn't think he could clear that bar with Republican voters, with conservatives. Uh, and I was clearly wrong, you know, in, in that sense. But I do think um, we need to get more sophisticated about covering this kind of crowded, entertainment-driven politics so that we don't get carried away in currents that are not nearly as significant as, as we make them out to be. Okay, let me ask you two quick things, and I'll let you go. And again, I sure. appreciate it. And I can't wait to read your book, Joe. It sounds oh, great. And I thank you. Well, fun to read. if it's anywhere even close to, to what you've done, I'm, I'll be very pleased. And uh, oh, that's, nice that's a high that. mountain to climb. Which, by the way, I thought it was really interesting in the movie. You really showed them climbing up to the Red Rocks. Yeah. Uh, that scene, there's several scenes in the movie where they talk about Hart announced his candidacy up in the Red Rocks of Colorado, which was an interesting, having all these people schlep up there. But I wanted to ask about, it was a real foregone conclusion that Hart would win, but then we saw what happened to Dukakis in 88, the Willie Horton kind of ad, or, mm -hmm. or the really dirty tricks that Lee Atwater and Bush did that took out Dukakis in many ways. You think Hart would have been able to survive that kind of assault? And I know in the movie and in the book, when he first sees the people outside his home, he's wondering if they're Bush yeah. uh, people. And I know in the book you talk about, was there any efforts by the Republicans to come after him? Would, would he have been able to beat that machine or... Well, I don't know. That's I mean, they would have come at him hard, yeah. and they almost certainly would have had evidence of the women... Even uh, without the woman, forget the womanizing, if... Maybe they well, would use some even, other you know, issue and, to attack him. Who knows? Yeah, and Lee Atwater, you know, Jim Fallows recently wrote a piece in The Atlantic, that, you know, hypothesizing that Lee Atwater had set him up or wanted to set him up. So, you know, I think Hart, uh, I, think, I think it would have been tough. I will say this, though, you know, two things that argue the other direction. One is Hart was, an ex was really an extraordinary thinker and politician yes. of the moment uh, and really had captured the public imagination. He was running 15 points ahead of George H.W. Bush, 25 points ahead of the next Democrat. And so... You know, the, the, he, he came in with a, with a strong advantage in that moment. And also, in 1952, I think, uh, Congress ratified the amendment to the Constitution, which prevents uh, a president from seeking more than two consecutive terms. In all of that time, up until the time Hart runs, which is, I'm not great at math, what, 35 years? Only once did a candidate manage to get a third term for a party. Right, and I know you mentioned uh, that an in the book party, as well. And only twice since then, yeah. and that was the only other time in 1980. I know that there's only been two times, uh, and, and, uh, and, and one of them was then. So I think, you know, in that sense, you know, Hart had both historic and, and, uh, and cultural forces really, you know, working in his favor and, and may very well have won the presidency. And the other thing that people may not forget, and the book, movie doesn't really mention it, is that he did come back and try to reenter the campaign. Right at the end of '88, or am I misremembering? Yeah, he comes back into the race at the end of that year. We don't get into this in the movie because it's past our time period. But you know, right, he and was it doesn't really add anything. I mean, you could have mentioned at the end, but it's probably either or. It, 
yeah. fact that but he even didn't really do later, anything. He, he's leading in the polls, yeah. and he decides, you know, he's way up in the polls, and he decides he should just get back in. And it was a curious yeah. thing. He was way up in the polls, and he gets back in and gets absolutely zero support, literally zero yeah. percent in Iowa. And, you know, all you can conclude, I think, was that people knew him. They wanted a candidate like him. They weren't enthusiastic about the other candidates, but it wasn't him. Uh, right. and, and the minute he gets back in, he's kind of a joke. And uh, and he, he would tell you, Hart will tell you, that the one thing he regrets from everything he did in that period was to run again. He wishes his kids really wanted him to. He wishes he had not reentered. I think for him that was actually the greatest indignity of it all. Like a you know a football player who, who retires and says, well, maybe give it another shot. I mean, he gave it another shot. Maybe he would have felt worse later if he didn't try. You know what? I always wish I had done it. I always wish I had done it. Now you say... The what ifs of life, right? Yeah, now know. he knows. He, he tried it. It didn't happen, so he knows it was the right thing. But now you sound like you say that he says the opposite. He says he wishes he hadn't done that. But when he re-entered, he, he wasn't in for that long, was he? Uh, well, no, he sticks in. It's actually interesting. Yeah. He got back in. He lost badly, but he stuck around. He did not withdraw, ah. and he traveled around the country, very small audiences, just driving in a car with one other person most of the time, and he gave policy speeches. He talked about his agenda. He said, I, I said I would leave this up to the people, and I will. He released all of his staff to go do whatever they felt they needed to do if they couldn't volunteer, work for other campaigns, whatever. And he just traveled around the country and talked to audiences and um, wherever he could find them. It's actually a very moving and poignant moment uh, in, politi- in, in a political career. and I, I, uh, It's one of my favorite parts of the book. And it's where the title of the book comes from because it was during that period when he looks at Martin O'Malley, who's driving him around. He's then a law student. And he, the he future recites- uh, governor of Maryland future government and presidential candidate, yes. and he recites a poem called, a Yeats poem called, To a Friend Whose Work Has Come to Nothing. And mm. the first line of that poem is, Now All the Truth is Out. Excellent. And, uh, and that's where the title of the book came from. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you talking to us. We've been talking to Matt Bai, author of All the Truth is Out, The Week Politics Went Tabloid, now renamed The Front Runner because it was the basis of the movie The Front Runner, out with Hugh Jackman by Jason Reitman, of course, who's done other great films, and son of Ivan Reitman. And right. you also, as we're learning, had a great uh, deal to do with the movie. What brought the movie about? Was it a pretty easy process, or did you go to get people to get it made, or were you asked to be involved? How, how did the movie come about, and then we'll let you go? Never an easy process, but this is probably the easiest as a get. I had never been a screenwriter. I'm now doing a bunch of stuff. I hadn't before this film. My, my buddy Jay Carson, uh, had got, who's a political operative, had gotten into screenwriting through House of Cards and other things, and he thought we should do it as a movie, kind of convinced me to try. We wrote a screenplay. At about the same time, Jason Reitman uh, was driving down the street, I think, and heard me talking about it on a podcast, a radio lab. He got really into the idea. The idea hit him right away. He's so he's, he's just he's kind of a genius, and he, he immediately bought the book and read it and thought, wow, this is a great film. Found out we were working out. The three of us sat down. We just hit it off right from the start. We said, hey, let's all write together. Uh, and we did. We had this really charmed uh, collaboration where all three of us kind of on the same wavelength. We all like to bring humor into things. We all like complexities and gray areas. So we had this kind of magical uh, collaboration. And the movie, from the time we started working together, I think uh, it was probably, you know, uh, a year and a half until we were shooting, and and you know two and a half years till the movie came out. So it, it's about as it's about as easy a process as it gets, and and joyous the entire time. And like I said, I just watched it. I was very uh, impressed. It moves well. A lot of good stories. It takes a good balance, like I said, between showing some sympathy and blame to Hart and some sympathy and blame to the press. And it moves well. There's a lot there for people who maybe remember what happened and didn't know the whole story or the younger folks who weren't around to be reminded what politics was like back then, what the press was like back then before the Internet, early cell phones. And it's funny, in the movie, several times people are asking someone for a dime so they can make a phone call. I thought that was funny. 
kind of a reminder to people. Yeah, pay phones were, were it for many people back in the day, especially reporters. But I uh, urge everyone to go see it, read the book. And I appreciate I know I kept you longer than I promised to, so I appreciate your time here. And hopefully this will be a success and there will be more coming down the road. Well, it's fun for me, Joe. I appreciate it. And thanks. I appreciate you uh, talking about the book and the film. It's been years of my life, a lot of years telling this story, but I think it's important, and, uh, and I'm glad people are getting to see it. Excellent. Thanks again very much. Sure thing. And that's all for this week's edition of Joe's Media Corner. Thanks for your time. Make sure to check out my book, Killing Journalism, How Greed, Laziness, and Donald Trump Are Destroying News and How We Can Save It, available at Amazon.com and at Willow Street Press. Check it out. Let me know what you think. And don't forget to support our sponsor, that's Jiminy's Dog Treats, Cricket Protein, that's hypoallergenic, humane, nutritious, delicious, and fights climate change. Reduce your carbon paw print with Jiminy's at Jiminy's.com, J-I-M-I-N-Y-S. Com. And we'll be back next week with another edition. Thanks for listening. Down on the corner, out in the street, playing the ball for the plan, bring the nickel, happy feet.